0: I invite you to turn with me this morning to um, Matthew chapter 2. Bill, I'm just full of problems this morning. I I changed my sermon title and it's not reflected up there. Um, It's not the bulletins, it's the PowerPoint. If it's not one or the other, it's both. However that works out, I think that was a completely illogical statement, but um, I stand by it nevertheless. Uh, This morning is, um, as you've seen the word that's been up there, it is epiphany. Um, And we'll look at what that word means here in just a few moments. But we're going to begin by reading uh, from Matthew chapter 2. Uh, Those first 15 verses of Matthew's account of the gospel. Matthew gives us a uh, a Christmas story that is um, not in any way in conflict with uh, that of Luke. But one that is unique unto Matthew and his purpose in writing. And he begins that Christmas story in chapter 2. Well, not begins, he is continuing his uh, Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2. And he says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this... I call my son. Epiphany is a Greek term. That means manifestation. Or revealing. Or an appearing. And the holiday epiphany. Is the holiday on which the church. Let me learn this, celebrates the revealing of Christ. To the Gentile world. And we see that. First, and most uh, probably most dramatically, in the arrival of these magi, these men of wisdom from the east. They've come, and they're not Jewish people. They've come, they've heard the prophecy of God, though they were not uh, people of Israel. And they were Gentile men, and they gathered uh, to, Matthew says, the house where the Christ child, Jesus our Lord, was staying and they presented their gifts to him: the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when we uh, think of the magi, there are a number of questions that we ask. A, a couple being that I was thinking throughout the week: who are they, and why do they matter? And in consideration of these questions, there are others that arise: were they were they wise men? You know, we, we talk of the wise men. That's typically how we refer to them when we're speaking to our children. We sing the song, we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We travel so far. Uh, were they magicians? The The term uh, magi is where we get the term magician. There are a lot of questions that that surround uh, these men. Uh, and these questions really are Almost impossible to answer. We don't exactly know who they are. We know they were from from the Orient. How far into the Orient, we're not sure. But they were from the east of Israel. And they came and they, they, they followed a star that it revealed to them. The question also is how many were there? We sing of we three kings, but we don't know that there were three. There could have been 300. There could have been 30. There could have been four. Two, we're not sure. They had three gifts that they presented to Jesus. They presented gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so perhaps there was uh, one wise man, one magi bearing each of these three gifts. When did they visit? That we are pretty confident it was not at the nativity. We've got uh, the nativity scene up here. Uh, Jesus was probably not a just a teensy-weensy, fresh-born, right-out-of-the-oven baby. Uh, he was perhaps as old as two years old. Um, we're, not, we're not certain. What we do know is that Herod inquires of them when they had first seen the star, and then he, when he goes on his rampage, decides uh, to, to have his judgment upon all children who are two years of age and under in the region. So perhaps he was one, perhaps he was two months, perhaps he was just a few weeks old. We're not exactly sure. But chances are they were not there when the shepherds were there. They came sometime later. Uh, One reason I I can say that with uh, pretty pretty strong confidence is because Matthew makes the point to say that they were staying in a house. And you remember from Luke's account, there was no room for them in the inn. And so they stayed in the stable and Christ was laid in a manger. And so it seems that some time of transition had, had happened where Joseph and Mary, as, uh, as the tax season kind of settled down and all the CPAs went back home and uh, some opportunities for rental uh, opened up in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas that, uh, that they were able to transition and settle down into a home for a short period of time before returning to Nazareth, which Matthew tells us gets sidetracked a little bit as they head down to Egypt. Who who didn't want an Egyptian vacation for a short while, right? So there are a lot of questions that surround these magi. Um, there, There certainly are. But the one thing that is certain is that their significance is immeasurable. Their significance is unexplainable because these were Gentile men. These were people who were outside of the nation of Israel. These were men who who were not faithfully Jewish people as you had uh, who faithfully followed the Old Testament. These were people who were familiar with the prophecies of of the Old Testament. They knew to be looking for the star. They knew where in a general vicinity to be traveling. Um, These were people who were sensitive to God's call and what God was doing in the world. But these were people that were outside of Israel. And the reason why that matters so much to us is because, I don't know about you, I'm not Jewish. I don't know that I have um, any Jewish ancestry at all. And what the arrival of these men to, uh, to the Christ child say to us and what Epiphany as a holiday says to us is that Christ came for the whole world. He was not just some national Savior. He was not just the King of the Jews. He was the King of the world. This is the Creator who created each and every one of us in His image and who has come to be the Savior of each and every one of us. And that's good news to us. Um, That's good news even now in our In our mission-mindedness as a church, we should be mindful that Jesus is not just an American Jesus. He's not just the Savior of the Bible Belt. He's someone who is working in the whole world to bring all people of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation, of every ethnicity. He has come to seek and to save that which was lost anywhere and everywhere. And that's hope for us. That's hope for us as we minister to others. The same God that we trust is able to be trusted by others, our friends and our family and our neighbors and our co-workers. And so Epiphany is a holiday that we celebrate the good news of Christ, which is indeed worldwide good news. It's not just limited for a select group of people. Uh, Our condition, which is universal, is met by His provision which has been universal in, in Christ's coming for the whole world. And his coming, this king, um, as, as the, the magi call him, the king of the Jews, his coming creates quite a bit of a stir. And his coming says something about a couple of things I want to look at this morning. Hang on, go back, there we go. The clicker's getting away from me here. His coming says something to us about authority. It says something about the nature of authority. It says something about how we relate to authority, what authority is. Notice uh, in in light of this idea of authority uh, being affected by the coming of Christ, notice a couple of reactions that that Matthew tells us. He gives us uh, the reactions of a single person and then a group of people. He gives us the reaction of Herod. In verse 3 he says, When Herod the king, the king, remember the Magi said, they're looking for the king. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. This was not good news for Herod. This was a challenge. What are you talking about king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. I've been placed here by the emperor. I've been placed here by Caesar. Caesar. And you're talking about another king having been born? Our family hadn't had a baby recently? What are we talking about? Herod even, uh, we know through the gospel accounts, we know also through, uh, through extra-biblical history that Herod was a paranoid man. There were a few men who went by the name of Herod. And they, they all were quite paranoid. Uh, a lot of interfamily family turmoil, uh, distrusting of sons because dad still got the crown. Uh, this man when he hears that a king of the Jews has been born, he is troubled, Matthew tells us. And we see how great of a trouble that was later. After verse 15, we go on to read. Um, we read of the, uh, the massacre of the innocents as Herod on, on rampage decides and orders the slaughter of all boys two and under in the surrounding area. This is a challenge to Herod. The coming of Christ is a challenge to all authorities, a challenge to all sources of power and avenues of influence. His arrival demands lordship over all, over our lives, over every position that we uh, uh, put stock in. His arrival uh, calls to the carpet all Authorities, all powers, all influences, and Herod, one who is in authority, sees it as a a challenge to his authority. Anytime anytime you have a position of authority that, that does not willingly submit to another higher authority, you've got a problem. You have a tyrant. Anytime someone thinks that all Authority stops with them. You've got a problem. The nature of biblical authority. The nature of of authority that God has created. And how he has established things. Is that all authorities. Must fall under someone else's authority. Um, Every boss. Ought to be answering to other bosses. Every. Every. Every king must answer to another king. And Jesus' arrival, the king of the Jews, the king who has been born to us, challenges all loyalties, all powers, all influence, and all authority. Notice also, not just Herod's reaction, but notice Jerusalem's reaction Matthew tells us just very simply, Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Why? They've, they've had Christ born to them, because life's easy when the boat's not shaken. You've got a madman in power, The last thing you want, if everything's kind of at, you know at peace. The last thing you want is that madman being challenged. Because what you have is something like the slaughter of the innocents. Jerusalem does not like the boat being rocked. We have, a, we have, a, um, we have an, an innate longing for stability, for security, for safety. It was Thomas Jefferson. Banks, I thank you for this. You'll recognize this. Who said, Timid men prefer the calm of despotism to the tempestuous sea of liberty. We, even if it means we lose rights, even if it means we lose a a little bit of authority in in our own lives, even if it means we lose a little bit of our freedoms, a little bit of our liberties, we like knowing that we've got a guarantee that everything's going to be okay. Trust us. You're not going to die today. We're going to take care of all of it. We're going to monitor this and watch that and check for this. And you've got nothing to worry about. Safety. Security. You're good. We see that in, in, uh, even in the arrival of Jesus. Jerusalem does not like the fact that there's been a king who's been born. Because everything's kind of been at peace. Everything's kind of been stable. The, the the seas have finally kind of mellowed down. But no, they don't have you know a national identity like they used to have. No, they don't have all the freedoms and joys that they used to have. Yeah, they have uh, Caesar's thumb constantly in their backs, especially through this madman Herod. But you know what? We figured out how to live in this. And and we can manage. We can get by. Don't start shaking things up. And anytime Jesus shows up, he always shakes things up. I said a few weeks ago, when God shows up, Emmanuel, God with us, it ought to kind of check us a little bit. Because anytime God shows up, all of our priorities in life, all of our loyalties in life, everything that, that has given us security, comfort, it, it's kind of uh, shaken up a bit. And the reaction we see from Herod is, is um, ought to make us mindful of what Jesus' arrival does to authority. And the reaction of Jerusalem ought to make us question ourselves how How comfortable are we when God shows up and starts shaking things up in our lives? His arrival says something not just about authority, but his arrival says something also also about the nature of redemption. The nature of redemption um, is that God's way is to show up in meekness. How does he show up? He shows up as a child, a baby. Wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. God's way of redeeming. His way of showing up. Is always to come in meekness. Always. God, God has a way of making himself small for our sake. So that he can come and redeem us. He He comes and redeems us. Not with all the show. Not with all the pomp and circumstance. He comes in a meek way. You have these Magi who've come from the east to celebrate and to worship. They've come and they've come bearing gifts and they've come to seek this king. And that's really the only show he has in his arrival. Before them, it was the shepherds. He comes also to redeem us. Humbly, meekly, He comes also in the midst of turmoil. Redemption is not by divine fiat from heaven. God does not from heaven speak down, your sins are forgiven you. He steps into our midst. He steps into our mess. He comes right into our turmoil and seeing what, uh, what, what's taking place in Matthew's account of the gospel with relationship to Jesus' birth and the arrival of these magi, Herod's reaction, uh, the, the magi having to disobey the king's orders and go back home another way and not return to them because the, uh the warning they've been given. Joseph then being aroused from sleep, packing up the family, let's get out of here, we're heading down to Egypt. And then the slaughter of the innocents. All of that tells us that when Christ entered the world, things were to a great extent at peace like they had never known peace before. We speak of the, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. and Rome had established such a peaceful, orderly society and yet when things get shaken up, you see that um, it's not genuine peace. Things just are kind of at bay for a moment. And that's when God shows up. He shows up in meekness. He shows up in turmoil. And that's what his call upon our lives is. His call upon our lives is in submitting to his authority and putting ourselves under his lordship, putting all of our loyalties under our loyalty to him. To then live redemptive lives. And we do that... As he did. In meekness. In turmoil. People know how much you care for them. When they see how you react. When their world is falling apart. And if our reaction is. Wow well, I mean, I've got other things going on. Or wow well, I'll let things kind of settle down a little bit and then I'll check on them. I'm not saying get get in and meddle with everybody's life when things are falling apart. I am saying be there. Be present. God's call upon our lives is the highest call upon our lives. His... His demand upon us is greater than any other demand. And His demand upon us is typically to be His presence to others. To step in meekly, humbly, quietly, uh, unpretentiously, and to step in, even in the mess. Even when it's trouble. Even when it's a dangerous situation, He calls us to others. He calls us to be about His redemption. And He calls us, therefore, we must obey. Um, on your communication cards and on the, um, the end of your bulletin, I have a few responses that. Um, I wonder if you would consider with me this morning. The, um, the first is, I wonder if you noticed the, uh, the sensitivity of the Magi who came in coming, first of all, but then also in their departure. How sensitive they were to what God was doing. Joseph's sensitivity then to what God was doing. Uh, each were attuned to God. Each were able to recognize what God was doing in the world. And I wonder if you would say, you know what? I need to be praying for greater sensitivity to, uh, to what God's doing. What He's doing in my life, what He's doing in my, my family's life, what He's doing in the lives of my friends and coworkers. I need to be a little bit more sensitive to, um, to what's going on. If that would be your prayer then I, I want you to mark that on your, um, your response. We read that the Magi showed up. They showed up though it was difficult. They showed up though it meant travel. They showed up though it meant sacrifice on their part. They showed up and they, what they told Herod was very telling. We have come to worship him. And they came bearing gifts. And they worshiped him. I wonder if your response would be that uh, I'm going to take my worship of Christ a bit more seriously. Whether it be worshiping more regularly, whether it be worshiping more attentively, maybe it would be. um, Maybe it would be. Just worshiping more seriously. Taking what happens here on a Sunday morning more seriously. Ought to compel us to come. Ought to, like I said last week, we ought to be scratching at the doors. Unlock the place. Let us in. And then lastly, I wonder if you would say... Not only am I going to take my worship life more seriously. Not only am I going to be sensitive to what God's doing. I'm going to share uh, share that worship life for others. I'm going to invite friends to come along with me. Um, if if you haven't seen the nativity story, you really should. It's a good movie, really good movie. And uh, one of the humorous things that's going on with the magi, they have three wise men, and they show up when the shepherds are there. Otherwise, a really really good movie. But uh, there's one that just doesn't want to go and then he eventually he says, nope, that's it, I'm not going. And then when you see him on the road, he's come along. You might have a friend or a family member who's before now has given you the cold shoulder when you've invited him to church. Keep inviting. Keep inviting. Let's pray.